Hello and welcome to The Automators. This is David Sparks and I am joined by my co-host, the lovely and brilliant Rosemary Orchard. How are you today, Rosemary? Oh, I'm excited, David. I mean, I'm always excited because recording an Automators podcast with you is great fun and we have an amazing guest lined up for today as well. Yes, uh, this is a person that I've been wanting to introduce Rosemary to. Welcome to the show, Micah Sargent. <laughs> hello, hello. It's uh it's good to be here. I'm very excited uh to be joining the both of you on this show and um to to see the even nerdier side of Rosemary. I mean, we we talk a lot about uh shortcuts on on our show iOS today, but to actually uh get to to dive in deep with automations, that's just that's just wonderful. Yeah, so so that that's the joke from the intro is Micah and Rosemary have a show together. They do iOS today over on the Twit network. It's an excellent show. I love watching the two of you and I think um uh, but what we haven't done is gone deep on Micah's automation game. So we're putting the spotlight on you today. Thanks so much for agreeing to come in. I got to tell you, I'm a little bit, uh, I was a little bit nervous whenever Rosemary asked me um, because I don't think that I'm uh, a huge automation person. And so I was kind of worried, you know, I'm, I'm uh, hanging out with some giants in the field. And so, I, you know, I've, I've got a few things and mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to talking about them. But um, more so than anything, it's just uh, an honor to, as I said, get to get to join such um, incredible automators as you two are. Well, well listeners know this because I, I say this often, but I you are my favorite kind of guest, someone who doesn't make a living doing automation and you know, you've got other things you need to do, but along the way, you've come up with little automations to help you get through your day. And that's really all of us, right? And mm-hmm. I think people who listen to the show who are in your shoes are like, hey, I'm not a programmer, but I would like to get better at this stuff. When you hear from a, I guess, for lack of a better word, normal person, you know, someone <laughs> who doesn't make their living writing code. Um, using automation, I think it inspires people. So I, you mm. are here for a very good reason, Micah. And I'm looking oh, forward good. To, to hearing what you're doing. Yes, I knew that we had to have you as a guest on the show very early on. And then, you know, especially recently, you've been sending me messages going, is it possible to do this with Keyboard <laughs> Maestro or Apple Script? And the answer has always been yes. And I've given you yes. some examples. And I, I know that you've been, you know, enhancing things as you, as you go, just trying to make your life easier. So I have no doubt that we are going to uh, have a great show because, you know, it's always good fun to get nerdy. So, Micah, before we get started, just tell everybody about you a little bit. I, I know you're doing some stuff over on Twit. You know, how did you get started with technology and what yeah. are your current shows at this point? Oh, man. So too many shows. But um, I so long, long ago, um, I remember sort of being in high school. And at the time I was going to, uh, be going to school to become a, um, uh, I wanted to go into advertising and particular sort of creative director, um, you know, starting out with, with graphic design and stuff like that, but getting into a role where I would be sort of, uh, shaping ad campaigns. And so I went to, uh, the University of Missouri, which has uh, the one of the best journalism schools in the country, and the journalism school had a program called, um, and now I'm forgetting it because it's been so long, uh, but the program was sort of creative communication, and it was part of the J School, and I went there to, to do that. But while I was there, I started working at a startup called Newsy, uh, N-E-W-S-Y, uh, which is still around today. 
Uh, it's now owned by the Scripps uh, Network. But um, while I was working there, I started out as a video editor and then moved into a role writing for the company, uh, you know, making stories for the company, and then uh, became an anchor for them. And then uh, by the time I left, I was the uh, talent coach, so like teaching new people how to anchor for the company. And then I headed off um, a team of writers who covered uh, tech, the the tech category for Newsy. Um, Ended up moving over to Mobile Nations, um, which was also acquired later, uh, and did a lot of tech writing there. And it was kind of then that I started getting more into podcasting, um, later invited on to replace, or, well, to to be the, uh, the replacement is not the right word because Jason Snell is is a powerhouse. But um, I took his role on Clockwise uh, with Dan Morin. Yeah. And then from there, uh, was asked to move to California. L- Lisa Laporte of uh, Twit reached out to me and said, "Hey, uh, you want to you want to come work for Twit?" And I thought uh, I would like to work for Twit. And then she said, uh, "You'll have to move to California." And I thought, I thought, okay, never mind, not doing that. <laughs> um, but decided to take her up on the offer to to fly out and and check out Twit and just really um, loved the folks who were working there and felt like it was right for me and. Um, yeah, I, I made the move to California all, uh, by my lonesome, well, not by my lonesome, I had my two dogs with me. Um, and uh, the, the rest, as they say, is history. Well, I have to ask as a fellow Californian, as a native, did, did California take good care of you when you arrived? Um, here's the thing. So I, I, when I was a kid, uh, kindergarten, I lived in Oceanside, California, which is in Southern California. Um, and yeah, exactly. And I, I, we lived on the military base. Um, and I, all I remember, well, I remember a lot, but what I remember about it was that it was very, very hot all the time and (laughs) there was no snow. I am at my heart, a Midwesterner. I'm from Missouri. I love the snow. And also because I'm geographically challenged, I did not think about how big California was. Yeah. And so I just thought California is hot and there's no snow. I'm going to hate it there. I'll never live there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then I came to Northern California for a different reason um, before I ever you know, got the job at Twit and realized, oh my God, I can wear a jacket most of the time. This is the perfect weather for me. So <laughs> in that way, yes, David, California has been good to me. The one thing I was not prepared for The two things I was not prepared for, um, one that is all of California, which is the wildfires, not ready for that, was surprised by that. Um, The other thing is unique to this part of Northern California, um, because we are sort of right at the the sort of boundary of wine country. Um, and, And so there's something called the Sonoma Aroma. And that is that when the farmers are um, fertilizing their crops with manure yep. uh, and there's a nice foggy day, as there often are in the mornings in Northern California, you get this awful aroma that we call the Sonoma <laughs> aroma. So those two things, not great. But outside of that, oh, my God. Yeah, they, didn't, they didn't invite you to visit that week. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's yep. been beautiful, and as I think many folks who live in California can can attest, it's like 
every different type of, of ecosystem you can find in California. And that's what's really cool is that there are all these different environments that exist all in one state and you can go and see all of those different things. So you can have snow if you want, you can have sand and beaches if you want, you can have cold beaches if you want. I mean, everything is here. Yeah, I remember I was in high school one day, me and my buddies went surfing in the morning and snowboarding in the afternoon. And, see, you know, it's wild. Yeah. It's so yep. wild. Yep. I was not prepared for it when I came because I, I visited, um, I went to WWDC first on my own as, for like a week. And obviously that was, you know, one experience. And then the next time I visited David in uh, Orange County and then went up to WWDC. And that was a different experience, especially Disney. And then I went to San Francisco and it is like pretty much visiting <laughs> three different countries. Like yeah. yes. geographically, they're close to each other, but it they are so different, all of the different areas. And, San Fran yeah, is its I, own thing. Yeah, yeah isn't yeah. it? It's wild. I feel like I've barely explored. Well, I'm glad that, that you're happy here because we are happy to have you. And um, mm-hmm. thank you. And I know that in addition to all the broadcasting you do, you are a class one nerd. I mean, you're making all <laughs> kinds of cool geeky stuff. Um, iOS Today is just one of the many shows that you're on. And Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the shows. The shows. <laughs> iOS Today. Um, I, I do Tech News Weekly, which is a, a weekly interview show, mostly with journalists who are writing stories about tech. Um, so that's a fun show to get to kind of talk about the, the week's topics. Um, I also have started doing um, The Tech Guy, which is a radio show that's broadcast around the world um, with Leo Laporte, where folks call in with their questions and we try to answer them. Um, we've been on hold. I've been on hold as the co-host because of a mask mandate in the county, but that's lifting again. So I'll be joining that uh, soon. And then I also do uh, Clockwise here on Relay FM um, mm-hmm. a, with with Dan Morin and uh, a podcast called Unhelpful Suggestions, which is just an occasional podcast I do with my pal Joe Rosenstiel, where we mostly talk about sort of Apple TV and media but also end up talking about pies and uh, all sorts of all sorts of fun stuff. And then the last one that I'll mention, um, because it's also more regular, is a podcast called Total Party Kill, The Dog mm-hmm. and Pony Show, which is on the Incomparable Network. And it's a D&D, Dungeons & Dragons, actual play podcast that we've been doing for years now. And uh, we're currently playing through Curse of Strahd. It doesn't get geekier than that. It's a no. lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, you know, there's a Star Wars based D and D game, you know, role play. Oh yeah, and I, there's a part of me that wants to do that so badly, but I can never find the time or like a group of people to do it with. I at some at some point before you know they put me in a box, I'm gonna gonna <laughs> go back to that. Because last time I I played uh, Dungeons and Dragons, I was like 14, and that was a few years ago. Oh yeah, we yeah, yeah that's we got to make that happen for sure. Yeah. I, oh yeah, it's it's so much fun. The mechanics are are all different, and I think there's just so much creativity out there um, as folks are feeling more free to kind of explore with the mechanics and and uh, really you know make something unique to each kind of property, especially. I uh, I was cleaning out some old paperwork I took um, when my mom passed, and I just was going through it just recently and found the maps I had drawn for our D and D games back in like nineteen oh, eighties awesome. like era, you know. I was kind of like a, did you ever see the opening scene to E. T., you know, where the kids are around the yes. kitchen? That, that was how we did D and D in my day, you know. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. But anyway, um, how did you get into automation, Micah? So this is a fun story too. Um I was actually um 
text expander uh, from Smile is uh, a, a sponsor of the network and has been had a, has had a long history in my life, um, and so I ended up remembering the story. Um, I. During high school, uh, I worked at this industrial sewing company. And that sounds like some gigantic factory where everyone's unhappy inside. Like, sort of like from Willy Wonka. Kind of yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, but not at all like that. It was a, a fam it was a friend of mine from high school. His family owned a small business and they did industrial sewing where you're making stuff with vinyl and whatnot. But um while I was working there, um his family was gonna go on vacation. And, uh, during that time, the, um, the, the factory or not the factory, but the business was, was going to, you know, be on pause until they got back. And, um, they were thinking about hiring someone to paint, uh, their house, a couple of rooms in their house. And because my grandparents, uh, were f- uh, house flippers, they would buy houses and flip them. And, uh, I, I, and I often helped them out with that. I knew a thing or two about painting. And so I said, Hey, you know, you instead of having someone in your house who you don't trust coming and going while you're away, um, I'd be willing to do it if you would like me to. And they were like, oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. So I had a lot of time during the summer to uh, need to do something with my time. And so I listened to a lot of Mac Break Weekly, which just happens to be on the Twit <laughs> Network. Wow. And uh, this was uh, a time whenever uh, Text Expander by Smile was a sponsor on the network. Um, I think this was around 2009, 2010. And so I was, you know, listening to the show. And uh, I remember Renee Ritchie talking about Text Expander. And he had talked about it a few times, but I wasn't quite getting it. Um, and I realized like, I just need to download this and see what it's about. So I finally downloaded it. I got a few of the, uh, example snippets and started using it. And honestly, like the, I've never looked back after using it for the first time. I, uh, have gone to, you know, all different kinds of jobs and all different kinds of, uh, workflows and text expander is one of those tools that just goes with me wherever I go. It's a tool that I use for personal stuff. It's a tool that I use for professional stuff. It was like having, whenever you're in school and you pull out that uh, pack of gum and then everyone's like, oh, could I, have a ple- could I please have a stick of gum? You, you feel super cool being able to give people pieces of gum. It was like that when I worked at Mobile Nations uh, where I would create the, the, the article writing process was pretty templatized. You know, the writing itself was unique, but you had to have it set up in a certain way uh, mm-hmm. with the, the back end and all that kind of stuff. And so I would create uh, templates that made that process a lot easier. And then my fellow colleagues who used Text Expander, they're always like, oh man, can you pass over that Text Expander snippet you created? So that was always a lot of fun, sort of creating those. And then I think one of the things that I love about Text Expander is its versatility. So that's what kind of really got me into text expander and I'm into automation in general um, by way of this snippet slash macro creation tool. Yeah, it is really the gateway drug for a lot of people because it is very easy once you realize that there's stuff that you're typing out the same way or copying and pasting multiple times to do mm-hmm. like your job that actually you can you can turn that into an automation of some kind. And there are so many ways to do it. And Text Expander is an, is an excellent one um, for things like that. And especially when you share it. I think that's that that's taking it up to the next level by, well, probably quite a few levels because 
an automation is great, but an automation that everybody uses, that means that all of your templates are identical. So that was a very sneaky, smart move there. And I approve. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and it really is, I think, such a great way to get started because it's it's not difficult. Everybody works with text and just you know, creating something where you type a few letters and then it expands into something else that that is very easy to grok. But um, have you gone down kind of the rabbit hole with text expander of additional features? Because there, <laughs> there's a lot more you can do with it. Yes, absolutely. So it absolutely started out with me just using, um, you know, I, I type in a short fray, I type in a short little snippet in it, and it makes the text something else. And then quickly, um, you know, knowing the power of it started to create more complex things, including um, fill-ins uh, for for show notes. And for, again, there were, you know, articles where uh, if you're talking about a specific, um, if you're talking, if it was like a roundup of different products for a thing, they all work the same way. So I had a text expander snippet that would ask me for the links um, to a page and the the headings for a page. And then I ended up being able to um, even automate that further where it would just take, I would just have a Safari window open that had the things and it would pull what I needed from that and automatically populate it, but I could check it if I wanted to. Um, the ability to move the cursor around to where you want it uh, mm-hmm. and then Brett Terpstra has a whole bunch of awesome text expander snippets that uh, to this day I still use regularly. And so I was able to use those kind of as a jumping off point for inspiration for other things. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm looking back now to see uh, some of the more complex ones that I have. And because of my current uh, job. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't require that as much. Oh, I will say the one um, that I do like to use pretty regularly is a um, link that will auto or a, a snippet that automatically takes a link and shortens it. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Using bit.ly. But what's cool about this link is that, or this, this snippet is that if there's a link shortening service for that. Uh, link that you're using. So Apple has, what is it like? Um, Apple.co or something. I can't remember what the mm-hmm. short one is, but um, Apple has one, Amazon has one, a bunch of different ones have one. It will shorten it to that URL, like to that services shortener instead of just doing the bit.ly link. Um, so that is very handy being able to use. Um, I would say my <laughs> my most used snippet though is not a very complicated one. It's just um, semicolon shrug, and then it makes that shruggy emoticon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's all about, you know, the things that bring you joy, isn't it? Because, you know, maybe the, the semicolon shrug makes, makes you happy every time you use it. And that, exactly. that is a really good way to get started. Because let's face it, we wouldn't automate these things if we weren't trying to make our lives easier and therefore happier. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to have to steal that text expander snippet from you, Micah. I've only got one that can just shorten URLs. I haven't got one that shortens and uses the URLs um, shortener of that service. And that is very cool. So I'm going to be stealing that one from you after the show. Definitely. I will send it to you. And did you write that or is that one that you picked up? No, somewhere? that one uh, That one was made by Brett Terpstra. Of course. Um, yeah. yeah. It, right? Of course. Exactly. <laughs> I'm always checking in on uh, Brett's website to see if he's got any new any new cool stuff worth uh, worth looking or worth adding to my, my snippets because, and again, also using it as a jumping off point for 
um, some other snippets. I use um, snippets for uh, for D and D roll roll twenty is what it's called, and mm. it's uh, the D and D beyond sort of virtual or D and D's virtual tabletop, and there are built in sort of API uh, commands that you can do, and so by using some special text expander snippets, I can automatically make my character uh, roll for one of their actions and sort of do the calculations there in the chat so that everyone can see. Uh, so that's also very handy. Do you have one for, uh, do they still use the four-sided dice in D&D? Is that a thing anymore? Uh, yeah. So yeah, pretty much all of them <laughs> yeah. uh, are used at some point in D&D, except for um, there's there's a sort of, there's a few above uh, a D20 before you get to the D100 that uh, I have not used in D&D, but everything D20 and below and then D100, which is technically two separate, um, all of those are are used. So have you ever seen a four-sided dice? It It's crazy. It, yeah. They, they look like little pyramids. Yeah, they don't roll. They don't, they just no. fall. No, they you, just you fall. need a dice tower for them. Like if if you've got a dice tower, then it's much easier. Plus, you get that really great sound effect if it's close enough to the microphone where everyone can hear it going clunk 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 because it goes all the way down. I always felt like I was cheating when I threw one of those. I don't know. Why. I know, right? Because yeah. you think you you sort of uh, pebble pebble it or what is it called? Bounce it across the, the yeah. surface of a pond. <laughs> this episode of Automators is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. It's a new year, but it might feel harder than ever to find and hire the qualified people you need especially for small businesses. That's where LinkedIn Jobs comes in. They make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Last time I tried to apply for a job, and fortunately was successful, it felt like a mess. There were so many different websites and so many different companies, and I didn't even know if those companies were real. Hiring the right person really makes a difference. The great person can really just fit in with the team and feel like they've always been there. Whereas the bad person, well, it feels like they're a weight dragging everybody down. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience and use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified. Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize those you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash automators. That's linkedin.com slash automators to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for their support of this show and all of Really FM. Micah, what uh, automation platforms do you use most often? So I was looking through my list and I realized, wow, I do quite... Uh, I do use quite a few more than I realized. Um, there's Keyboard Maestro, Text Expander, which of course I mentioned, HomeKit, which is in some ways just shortcuts, but in in other ways is uh, its own set of automations within HomeKit. Uh, Bunch, we we're just talking about yeah. uh, Brett Terpstra, uh, Zapier, um, IFTTT, which Zapier and IFTTT are both in the same um, group. And by the way, 
folks I know will sometimes pronounce this Zapier, but uh, Zapier was a sponsor on the Twit Network. And so we mm-hmm. got to speak to the folks there and they said, it's Zapier. It rhymes with happier. I do yep. wonder why there aren't two Ps in there, but alas. And then last but not least is Shortcuts, um, which I feel like if I had not included on the list, uh, Rosemary would have sniped me from uh, the UK somehow. So that definitely is one that uh, I, I have automations that I use. I, and this is the thing. I, I have to ask the both of you because the word automation starts with the word auto, which in many ways is something that, I'd like to, to use the word again, it, it happens automatically. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit that I don't have a whole lot of happens automatically automations. Mine are more uh, a set of steps or a set of of processes that take place after I tell them to do this thing. So does that still count? Am I okay? Yeah, it totally counts. It totally counts. Yeah. I mean, I was was thinking about, you know, whether or not I need to, you know, send a fluffy bunny um, your way anytime soon. And I I think you're going to land on the safe side of that. Because uh, the trick with a lot of automations is they become automatic in the way that you do them. They they become mm-hmm. a part of your workflow. So just like typing your own name, you know, you you type something and you get, you know, instead of just your name, you get whatever it is that you've intended to produce or and things. Um, and also when it comes to actually 100% automating things, that's at a really, really high level where you've got so much confidence in the system that nothing is going to go wrong that you can just have everything happen automatically. And there has to be an element of predictability to your life for things like that to happen. Um, That's one of the things that I admire about you. I've got a a little bit of therapy here. First of all, a little bit um, wary about giving over control. And (laughs) secondly, uh, a lack of trust in... Mm these things. And I've always admired, I've, you know, whenever I was doing the show Smart Tech Today with Matthew Casanelli, I would often joke um, that you have somehow figured out how to actually make server-side automations work in your home. Because I have experienced nothing but fear and loathing when it comes to server-side automation stuff. It, it, Whenever it comes to sort of smart home things. Mm-hmm. So you have figured out a way to be able to sit down at your desk and the vibration sensor tells the lights to turn on or stay on. Um, you've got laundry automations that, that work for you. Mm-hmm. And then you've got all of these kind of um, true-false, uh, you know, these Boolean uh, setups that that work across your whole system using home bridge switches and all of that. And I don't know what it is that has, I, I will be honest with you that I have not set any of that up in a long time. And so mm-hmm. that could be why like things have improved, but I have trouble sort of having the, wanting to take the spare time that I do have to get one of these kinds of things set up because I'm worried that in the end, it's not going to work for me. But yeah, yeah I'm just curious, Is do you have to sort of make a sacrifice to an elder deity in order to get these to work? Why do you think, Rosemary, and I'm sorry for flipping this on its head a little bit, but I am curious, like, why do you think, Rosemary, that your server-side automations and the, and the, the sort of complex automations that you do, especially smart home-wise, end up working out for you? Do you find yourself regularly troubleshooting them? Or have you just, because of your coding background, like you know how to speak computer and what you need to do to get it all set up? It's a bit of six of one, half a dozen of the other. Like, there's definitely troubleshooting that happens. Um, but also, um, 
I have a fairly good understanding of what the problem is that I'm trying to solve. And there's this common issue with um, coding and problem solving generically that people have, and it's the XY problem. Um, and this is frequently found in customer service where somebody comes and says, hey, how do I do X? And the reason why they're trying to do X is to achieve Y, but they don't try say, hey, I'm trying to achieve Y, so therefore I thought I would do X. They just tell you about X oh. and they go down the wrong path. And that's something that I try to be incredibly aware of with all kinds of automations um, because it really allows me to avoid pigeonholing myself with the, well, I started doing this as a keyboard maestro macro, so therefore it has to be a keyboard maestro macro. No, the end goal is whatever it is that I'm trying to achieve here, however it can be achieved. And that allows me to just sort of like search around. And also I have a tendency, especially when it comes to home automation stuff at the moment, to not actually do the thing immediately. You know, I have an idea that I want to do X, so I write it on a list. And then when I've got a minute, instead of just trying to do it without researching it at all, I do take a couple of minutes to search with ah. whatever tools it is and see what other people are doing. Because frequently, somebody else has been there and done that. And I can steal from what they've done or I can see what problems they've run into and go, I'm going to hold off on uh, doing that one right now. Thank you very much. I do not want to be in the shower and have my bathroom lights go off. That seems like a terrible idea. I will leave automating my bathroom light until I figured something out. And then I realized that uh, in my particular case for the bathroom light situation, uh, I have a very good way of telling if somebody is in the bathroom and has not left the bathroom. The door is still closed. Um, so uh, so I, I figured that one out, uh, fortunately. But yeah, there's there's some trust, there's some troubleshooting, and there's a little bit of uh, focusing on what the solution, uh, what the problem is, rather than a particular solution that I've got started with. Yeah, I, I do have a little fear that if I ever like go and stay at Rosemary's house, that like there's going to be like a spring gun that's going to shoot me or something. I don't, right. It's like you know. no, no, no. I mean, the worst case scenario right now is because I've um, I've been rejigging things um and i had a very dodgy guest mode that didn't actually work so i've just eliminated that so right now if i left my house uh to like i don't know grow grab some food and you were still there it would turn off the lights and the robot vacuum would start running if it hadn't run that day so that that would be you know the worst case scenario right now and there's still buttons everywhere for people to turn back on the lights so it, it's not that crazy fortunately yeah, i'd be like on the couch and the robot vacuum would chase me in a corner like that book in harry potter right <laughs> it's okay the robot mob won't gang up uh on you with it so you're, you'll be fine mike the, the, a couple things uh first of all i feel like you're absolutely an automator um to me automation i guess i have a little more um technical view of it to me it's two things it's a trigger combined with a series of actions mm -hmm. yes. and a trigger can be something automatic like rose sitting on her chair or uh, you pushing a button in keyboard maestro. It doesn't matter. Trigger is a trigger. But the automation part is really what comes after the trigger. And that's like saying, okay, rather than me go through all the steps to copy this text, open Grammarly, create a new file, paste it, you know, all the things. I'm, I just made it automatic. So it just does that for me. That's automation. Mm -hmm. So you're good. Yay. Yeah. Uh, so you're in the club. Better. That's the first thing. The yes. second thing is, um, as someone uh, who also struggles with this stuff, what I find the best way to kind of do more complex automations is just baby steps. Mm -hmm. And like uh, in mm -hmm. shortcuts, shortcuts really doesn't have a really good debugging mode in it. But I just create a shortcut step called alert. And it basically says it works or or it gives me a variable, um, a variable value or something. And I just put it in 
to the shortcut as I'm building it. Like I'll say, okay, first let's build the trigger and then give me an alert that says it works. And then like, now let's uh, get the, uh, I just did one recently for podcasting where I give it the date, the recording date, and then it does some date math and generates, I'm sorry, I give it the published date and it figures out the recording date because we always record five days before the show releases. So, so I just did it and, it, and I said, okay, now, once you finish that far, give me an alert and tell me what you think the recording date is. And it did, you know, and I got that to work. And then, then I started using that variable. Then you just kind of work your way down the stack slowly. If you got build it. the whole thing, you don't know where it breaks. And because there's not right. a lot of good debugging, you since in essence, just kind of work your way methodically through it. And before yeah. you know it, you've got a pretty complex automation. Yeah. And see, what's interesting is I, de- I do that uh, in text expander um, whenever I'm creating macros or in, in keyboard maestro when I am. Um, and for some reason, I'd never thought to, to do that in shortcuts. But yeah, that makes sense and would make it much easier. I mean, shortcuts doesn't have the tool set for it. So you have to kind of make yeah. it yourself. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I do is I really try to break things down into steps. So, you know, I'll sit down. Um, I've been using a rocket book a lot recently. It's like a dry erasable uh, notebook. Um, and it's really great because it means I don't feel like I'm wasting paper or anything for it. But it, I get to like sit down and I try and figure out like, what am I aiming for? And what are the steps involved in this? And breaking them down into chunks. And the other thing that we have in shortcuts, which is really great, is the run shortcut action, which means that you can do each chunk as a shortcut independently, but you can pass things into each one. Um, and you can pass the same information into all of them, or you could, you know, pass uh, different bits of information into them, uh, whatever you want. But because you can do that, you can break stuff down nicely into chunks so that you've got individual steps, which makes it easier to debug, which is always useful if something breaks. And every so often when there's an update and you're on the developer page of iOS, then Shortcuts does unexpected things, which is sometimes wonderful and sometimes weird. Uh, but being able to debug things by breaking it down is really useful. Um, and the other thing that I do when I break shortcuts down specifically that far um, is I pass a dictionary into a shortcut. And that is something that perhaps uh, people might like to steal because if you pass a dictionary into a shortcut, you can pass as many variables as you like. But if you pass one variable into a shortcut, you can only pass one thing. So that really lets me break stuff down a long way into very small snippets that I can reuse again and again that I can pass the same data that I need into all of them without worrying about, you know, I only have one variable. Mm -hmm. Well, um, that is very helpful. And also what's not helpful is that now I have to buy a rocket book because that is very cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. I mean, the Apple Pencil and Notability are also great, um, but I'm frequently doing this like on my iPad um, and then I want to look at everything and it's really nice to be able to have multiple shortcuts on my screen as well as the reference to what I was looking at. And at some point, even on a 12.9 inch iPad, you start running out of space. Okay, so the the door has been opened. Tell us about the rocket book, Rose. <laughs> it's just uh, a dry erasable notebook uh, that you use Pilot Friction pens in, um, but you can use like a slightly damp microfiber cloth to clean the the pens off. And there's an app where you can take photos of pages um, to you know like save them later. Does it OCR? Which, um, it tries to, depending on how good your writing is um, got slash it, got what it. you were attempting to do. It may or may not work. Um, I was taking some notes in a meeting at work this morning, and um, 
well, let's just say I can read it because I know what I was trying to write and approximately what was going on where. Um, <laughs> yeah, no OCR is going to have a chance with that. Also, the, the squiggly little icons that I put next to things to tell me what different buttons and stuff should look like, useful to me. Um, OCR insisted that one of them was an A. Um, and that one of them was some Unicode character I've literally never seen before. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, I give it full points for trying. Um, unfortunately, in this particular case, it didn't succeed. But if I do actually sit down and try and write nicely, it'll, it, it, it works pretty well. Um, but I, I'm not using it for things like that. I'm just using it for the, I need to like quickly diagram out like what I am actually trying to do here so that I can break this down into the right parts to be able to actually solve the problem. Yeah, I, I feel like OCR it. of handwriting is one of the the white wells of technology right now. It's out there, mm. but nobody can find it. And um, you know, all the apps that claim to do it. This came up in the Max Sparky Labs recently, so I started looking at all the apps that are doing it, and literally none of them get my handwriting right. And I I don't write in script; I write in block text. Mm-hmm. So it never, yeah. get, so it puts random capital. I think that oh, some of them yeah. because I do that too. Um, and I, like I've, I've struck, I found more apps struggle to recognize a photo of my handwriting, but on the inverse side, things like notability with the Apple pencil do a really great job of recognizing my handwriting. Yeah. So swings and roundabouts. So what I do is um, I'll take a picture of something I, I've written down and then if it's like day one is where usually where it goes for me, cause it's usually part of my journal and I'll just write down like a few words uh, in text summarizing what I'm like, if I'm writing about a journal entry about, you know, my goals of 2022, I'll just write goals for 2022 in text. And then when I search um, day one, it'll find that text and then I can read the entry, which is very much a hack, you know? Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, well, that's cool. We, uh, we now everybody's looking at the rocket book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah, that these was not a, friction pens. They're, yeah, so like it, using thermal ink. So the the friction of heating up the ink is what makes it able to be erased from the page. Uh, yeah. But in those those rocket books, then you can also just use uh, water and microfiber. So that yeah, I I might have to even if I don't end up getting the rocket book, although they have a dot grid version, so I'm probably going yeah, to. Yeah, that's one I have. I'm definitely going to pick up the pilot friction. Uh, oh yeah, the pilot friction pens are, are great. Yeah, I have so I have a, a whole range of them. Um, but the fine liners and the um, like marker pens are the best ones for the rocket book, just because of the way like the paper is like slightly slippery. Um, mm-hmm. But I get more friction on that than I do on just a, a straight iPad. So definite win there. Boy, we just went down a path, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I might have distracted <laughs> people a little bit there. I mean, sort that's sort of uh, how I come across uh, automations that work for me is going down a path. You've, you've traveled down this path of like, okay, so I keep doing this thing over and over again. And I'm, I wonder if I can, and then you start to, to play around with it. And then mm-hmm. for someone like me, I end up reaching out to Rosemary and saying, um, <laughs> okay, is this even possible? And then the delightful and wonderful uh, Rosemary ends up just making something that works for me and it's just wonderful. But, um, yeah, I, in doing so, I have learned, um, a lot myself and, um, an app that I didn't mention, uh, on, uh, in, in the sort of platforms, cause it's not really a, a platform for automation, but it is a wonderful app, um, for the Mac. It may be on iOS, but I'm not sure, but it definitely is on the Mac. It's called Patterns. Um, mm. and Patterns is an app that helps you figure out 
your regex express well regular expressions yeah. uh your regex uh stuff and I have learned a lot about regex using uh, the patterns app because what it'll do is at the top, you type in your regular expression. Um, below that, there'll be two sections. On the left is a section where you put the text that you're wanting to search through. And on the right, it shows you the matches that it comes up with. And then there's a bunch of built-in stuff for uh, seeing what you're you're looking for, a reference sheet that comes with it, um, the ability to sort of copy the code, change the type of regular expression code that you're using. Because, um, of course, that can be different depending on the language that you are uh, using. And then replacement options, filtering options, all sorts of stuff, um, all built into this app. And as someone who has not, uh, who wants to, but has not had the time to sit down and read um, the book that uh, it was actually Leo Laporte recommended it to me. And now I'm forgetting what it's called, but it's a book about regular expressions that teaches you about them. I haven't had the chance to do that yet. So I'm just kind of learning on the fly. Uh, patterns has been helpful in, in, figuring out regular expression stuff. And I would yeah. say that applies across the board for automation. Like learning automation tools in the abstract is very difficult, but having a specific problem you're trying to solve and then figuring out the automation concoction that solves it for you is the best way to learn this stuff. Was the book he was recommending the BB Edit Manual by any chance? Because the BB Edit Manual is a really great resource for regular expression like introductions. Um, I, I will, I will have to look. Oh, I think it might be. Let me see. Yeah. It's, uh, it's mastering regular expressions by Jeffrey Friedel, um, uh, which is an O'Reilly publication. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, I recognize, um, the, the, the name of the author. Uh, this is one I have, uh, used in the past and it's very, very good. I end up using regex 101 for a lot of this stuff. Um, because, um, and this could be important to people if they've got a regular expression that apparently is supposed to work and it isn't working, there are slightly different flavors of regular expression, depending on what platform or language you're using. Um, and so it has the different flavors there and can tell you, you, you know, you can switch to it. And so you'll see how it matches all of the different, uh, bits of your text or BB edits pattern playgrounds is another great way to do that. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by FitBod. Go to fitbod.me slash automators to get stronger and faster with a fitness plan that fits you, and you get 25% off your membership. Between balancing work, family, and everything else you've got going in your life, it can sometimes be hard to make fitness a priority. What you need is a program that works with you, not against you, and that's why you need FitBod. FitBod's algorithm learns about you, your goals, and your training ability, and will craft a personalized exercise plan that's unique to you. And their app makes it incredibly easy to learn exactly how to perform each exercise. Personal fitness isn't about competing with other people. You don't want to look to others and try to stack up against them and do what they do. What you need is something that will work for you, and that's when it really sticks and when you'll see the results you're looking for. FitBod uses data to create and adjust your dynamic fitness plan, and you'll have instant access to your own personalized routine in their fantastic app, so you can make progress on your goals from anywhere. FitBod was the app I went to when the pandemic started. I had a gym membership before, and I wasn't a huge fan of the gym, but I did go, and uh, there was some things about it. It wasn't actually the workout that I didn't like. It was like 
the music they played and the way the coaches always scream at you. Um, Fitbot isn't like that. Fitbot is like a friend, a little coaching friend that helps you. You tell it what equipment you have, and then you can do a workout while you watch YouTube. It's just so much better. Everyone's fitness path is different, which is why Fitbod does so much work to make sure they customize things exactly to suit you. They make sure to learn from your last workout so your next one will be even better, whether you work out twice a day or twice a week. Fitbod even tracks your muscle recovery to make sure your plan is balanced with a variety of exercises to make sure you're not overwhelming anything. The Fitbot app is so simple to use and recently got updated with a fantastic new design with brand new HD video tutorials shot from multiple angles to make sure that learning each exercise is a breeze. And it also integrates with your Apple Watch, Wear OS smartwatch, and apps like Strava, Fitbit, and Apple Health. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive, but Fitbot is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year. And you can get an even better price. You can get 25% off your membership by signing up at fitbod.me slash automators. So go now and get your customized fitness plan at fitbod.me slash automators, and you'll get 25% off your membership. That's fitbod.me slash automators for 25% off. Our thanks to Fitbod for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. Micah, you mentioned Keyboard Maestro, and I know I've sent you a few macros in the past, but <laughs> what are you doing with it? Because I know you're doing lots of things. Yeah, so Keyboard Maestro has quickly become my um, the tool that I use most when it comes to automation stuff. Um, one of my most common one is, I oh man, I just get so much satisfaction out of it every time I use it. There are, to this day, still applications and websites that think that it is a security feature to not let you paste into the uh, password field and a security feature to not let you paste into the account number, routing number field if you're uh, making a purchase. And so you have to actually type it out. But Keyboard Maestro has this fantastic macro that, again, I use all the time when I need to and just look so smugly at this app or website that's not letting me do what I need to do yeah. uh, called Type Clipboard. And for folks who don't know, it is a simple macro. All it does is it takes what you've put on your clipboard and it makes the computer think that you are typing it in. But of course, it types it in very quickly. So mm -hmm. even though you can't command V or control V into the field, uh, Keyboard Maestro can essentially do the same thing uh, to make that happen. I just love that uh, Keyboard Maestro macro. And as I said, I use it all the time. Uh, the other one that I use regularly, um, if I'm... So my... I live in a... a two-bedroom house. And this, the second bedroom is uh, my studio slash office space. And so I'm often in here because it's also my, you know, my craft area and everything else that it serves as. And so I'm often in here not doing computer stuff. Um, occasionally, though, you might brush up against the, the mouse or the keyboard or, or something like that, which uh, wakes the computer. And there are many reasons why um, you might not want to log out or sleep the computer, but you just don't want the displays on because you're not using the computer at that time. So I have a simple macro in Keyboard Maestro that's called Turn Off Displays, and it just runs uh, the shell script PM set display sleep now, which will turn off all of the displays, but not make everything go to sleep. Um, 
I should also mention that I trigger all of these using the Stream Deck uh, from Elgato. It is uh, my little button presser, which I'm sure you've talked plenty about, so people probably know about it on the show. But um, I've got a button for turn off display. I've got a button for type clipboard. Um, And then the ones that I use regularly are actually... One was... uh, I made with the help of my friend, uh, Dan Sturm. Uh, he's, if you haven't had him on the show, you should absolutely have him on the show because that guy automates as much of his life as possible. He's a director and producer and currently works at sandwich video, uh, which makes ads and stuff like that. You seriously should have him on the show. I can help you get in touch if you're, if you haven't, um, he helped me set up a, uh, macro, uh, in Keyboard Maestro that then I talked to Rosemary about because there were a couple of things that he and I were trying to work out that I couldn't quite get. And these have helped me in my day-to-day uh, work life. So <clears throat> uh, part of my, when I'm not uh, doing, when I'm not hosting podcasts, I also produce a few podcasts at Twit. And production uh, mostly involves planning the show, and then after the show is done, uh, getting like the metadata in place. So the show notes and the the tags and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there's a show called Windows Weekly that takes place every Wednesday. And I produce that show most weeks, occasionally host it when Leo is out. And uh, the two panelists for that show, Paul Therott and Mary Jo Foley, they do the show planning for that show. So they have a one-note document that has all of the stuff that they want to talk about in that show. And it is my job to take that one-note document, which one-note does not play nicely with anything. Um, and it's my job to take that one-note document and turn it into something, basically plain text, that the editor can use whenever they publish the episode of the show so that it appears in the show notes. So what I was doing in the past was going through the OneNote document and clicking, well, command, uh, holding down command and clicking on every single link to open up those links into individual tabs, and then going to each page, highlighting the headline of the page, copying and pasting it into this, um, I use IA Writer as the show note creation tool and then paste copying and pasting the link from each of those uh from each of those tabs obviously that took a lot of time and i knew that that process could be automated so um uh, dan sturm helped me create a keyboard maestro uh macro that uh helped me to see all of those safari tabs get the headline uh from those pages because usually it's the the title that gets put into the tab. Mm-hmm. Um, so grab it from there at, I think tab names is the, the, the deal in Apple script or whatever. And then, um, there's a little bit of regular expression work that happens because my, the page, the, the set of tabs always is set up the same where the first two tabs are my Gmail account because I have that pinned and mm-hmm. then the next one to that is the OneNote document. So we worked out a regular expression to remove that Gmail account and OneNote document from that set of um, tab names. And then from there, it just drops the, the headline and then there's a new line. Uh, and then it drops the headline, a new line drops the headline all the way through. Um, and then a few more regular expression uh, deals to remove some of the uh the the branding that happens with those those tab oh, yeah. titles uh like the pipe character and then the source of the the page or whatever yeah um so that was the 
that was the first thing that I needed to do because the editor would go and grab the links separately. Um, so I didn't really need the links. I just needed to have those titles. So Rosemary helped me. Um, I can't remember now what exactly it was that I wanted to change way back when. I think um, you wanted to... Um uh, change like uh, I think there was like some extra stuff that was still being added to some of the the titles perhaps that might have been it yeah I can't remember what that one was for sure but then later on um and we we tried a few things and we ended up getting to it in the end and so it, it in honor of rosemary that macro is still called open tabs to unordered list rosemary edition and on my um my stream deck the button has R-O for Rosemary Orchard. Aww. So I just tap that and that uh, goes ahead and copies the titles as I need to from the tabs. Um, the other one that Rosemary helped me with is one that I use now for that show and also for uh, the tech guy, which I produce on Saturdays when I'm not hosting. And for the tech guy, uh, as I mentioned, people from all over the US mostly, but occasionally from other countries, they call in. Uh, to the radio show, and they ask a question, you know, how can I get my printer set up? That's one of Leah's least favorite questions, but um, <laughs> printer my printer isn't evil. working. What do I need to do? Um, and he will answer the question, um, oftentimes with the help of the, the chat room that is listening and watching as well. And so there are links to different troubleshooting documents, links to different websites, links to different products that he recommends for people who are having questions about that. So while I'm watching the show, I have a Safari document or Safari page open that I'm just adding tabs to uh, of every single site that he mentions. So by the end of it, you know, there's 25 tabs in this one Safari window. And um, what the document does that um, that Rosemary created is that it just uses AppleScript to get all of the links of those tabs and put them in a list where uh, it's not even it's not an unordered list or an ordered list. It's just uh, a link and then line break, link, line break, link, line break. Um, and so it grabs all of those and puts them. And that saves so much time for me during that. And I'm so appreciative uh, that Rosemary helped me with that. Um, Apple Script is on my list of things to learn. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. just you only have so much time. But because I use the Mac, um, I, I really want to learn Apple Script um, because as Rosemary, you and I sort of um, uh, lamented, this is not something that you can do with shortcuts no. on its own. No, no, I did try. And and shortcuts now has the ability to get whatever is on your screen, but it can kind of pretty much like tell you the first tab and that's it. Um, and it can't even interact with tab groups because if you had a tab group and it could pull everything out of the tab group, that would be amazing. Um, but it, it, it can't, which is a real shame, um, because it is actually pretty good at regular expressions and so on, because I've just tracked back, by the way, Micah, it was a regular expression problem that you were having. If there was a comma in the title, um, then that was getting, um, split up, um, oh, when things, right. uh, when, when things got parsed. Um, and so I, I helped you figure that one out. Um, I've, yeah, I've just been was, able to was... track. It ended up pulling them and creating a CSV mm -hmm. uh, or a you know a set of CSVs, I guess, comma separated values. Yeah. And so we needed to what I can't remember what your solution was. Basically, not make it a CSV. I think but, I made it into mar uh, Markdown style links. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so which it which kind worked? Of, yeah, exactly. Completely skipped um, needing to create a comma separated value list, and so then the commas didn't even play a role in it. Yeah. Yeah, and that is uh, a 
good example of the XY problem, which is not exactly what you were doing. It was just, you know, the 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 solution was actually to go to the next step in the automation and make it a bit simpler by not adding that extra step, which can often make life uh, better when it comes to And by to the way, things. there's a website, xyproblem.info, if you want to learn oh, yeah. more about the XY problem. <laughs> I it, uh, immediately was like, I need to save this in my brain because this is a conversation that I have regularly without realizing kind of this is the... Occasionally, I'm sure you two both have gotten messages from family members or perhaps partners or whomever, and they say, this isn't working or this is broken. And you are like, okay, just saying it's broken is not quite enough information. Yeah, I, I'm yeah, gonna need yeah. some it, more. It's broken can mean How any number of things from <laughs> you have not turned it on and taken it out of the box yet to, um, you know, you're trying to do completely the wrong thing with the wrong tool. Yeah, like um, which, audio is not working. Does that mean that it's coming out distorted? Does that mean that it's not coming out at all? Does that mean that you can hear it out of headphones, but not out of the max speakers like you're wanting it to? So yeah, um, yeah I, I like this XY problem thing because that helps me kind of pull into the empathy and understanding of how someone might be explaining this one thing when they're trying to get to the source of it, which is this. So uh, what is it? Patience and grace. Yes. Yes, go. absolutely. <laughs> But not only with others, but with yourself when you're dealing with automation. Amen. Um, yes. The, uh, the, I, I, uh, you know, Brett Terpstra, since we're talking about him, Markdown Service Tools has created a Markdown Service Tool that gives you a list of all the Safari links in the open browser mm-hmm. in Markdown. Oh, really? Yes, I use that as part of the basis for some of the stuff that I've done for Micah. Um, because, yeah. um, you know, the the thing with uh, good artists create, great artists steal, uh, great automators steal from the things that they and other people have done as well, because you don't need to reinvent the wheel every time. Yeah, sadly, um, the Twit backend, I recently confirmed, does not uh, support Markdown, which just breaks my heart. So I ended up just having to get kind of raw links and uh, headlines and instead of being able to does it use support markdown. html yes it does because what you could do is you know you have all these things that create markdown and obviously you you like markdown and you know there's very good reasons it. for that but you could use a shortcut that takes whatever whatever is on your clipboard and just turns it into html ah okay okay yeah because that's, that, that's that's something perfect. shortcuts can do really well um, so, um, and there's plenty of other services that can do that too. Um, I'm sure Brett Terpster's got quite a few of them, um, hanging around, but, uh, shortcuts can change, um, uh, markdown into HTML for you. Yeah. I got to donate, um, I got to donate some, some money to, uh, Brett, cause I've been talking about him a lot on the show today and goodness gracious, do I use a lot of the awesome stuff that Brett makes. If you're a software engineer, you've been there. It's 9pm, you're finally unwinding from work, but then your phone buzzes with an alert. Something's broken and your mind's already racing at what could be wrong. Is it the back end or the front end? Do we have slow running queries? Now the whole team's scrambling from tool to tool, messaging person after person to find and fix the issue. That won't happen if you get New Relic. New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally buy separately, so engineering teams can see across their entire software stack in one place. More importantly, you can pinpoint issues down to the line of code so you know exactly why the problem happened and can resolve it quickly. That's why the dev and op teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. Whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. That next 9pm call is just waiting to happen. 
get New Relic before it does. And you can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data for free, forever, no credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash automators. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash automators. That URL one more time, newrelic.com slash automators. Our thanks to New Relic for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Uh, so we we talked around HomeKit a little bit earlier, Micah, and I know a lot of our, our listeners are really into home automation. How far down that rabbit hole have you gone? Uh, so I, that's, this is one of the other downsides, I guess, of moving to California is uh, things are a lot more expensive here when it comes to housing. Yeah. Um, I lived in Springfield, Missouri, which is in Southern Missouri, in a three-bedroom detached home uh, with a huge backyard and I was renting it, but Missouri, or at least in the place where in the places where I've lived, the landlords tend to be a little bit more hands off slash not as rigorous with the lease. And so the landlord was a okay with me making changes to the home so long as when I left, uh, I either paid for them to return it to how it was before or, I made it back to where it was whenever I first moved in, which is always what I do, uh, the, the second one. And so um, I was able to customize a lot of the setup there. You know, I uh, changed out the the garage door opener for one that was HomeKit, HomeKit enabled. Um, the front door lock was a HomeKit enabled door lock. Doorbell was... Um, well, I guess that never got HomeKit support because August promised that but never delivered. Um, and the lighting and all that kind of stuff throughout the home was uh, HomeKit enabled. And so at that time, I had quite a few different true automations, I guess, set up. Um, one of my favorite ones and the one that you know never got deleted or deactivated because it was used uh, and worked perfectly every time was that at sunset... Um, the light out in my front yard, which was like a post light, would turn on as well as the porch light in the front and then the porch light in the back. So the, those three lights would turn on at sunset and then at sunrise, they would turn off. Uh, so there was always kind of lighting if I needed to look outside uh, at night because we heard a sound and wanted to see what the raccoon was out there doing. Uh, then you could easily do that. Um other automations were uh, when someone went into when someone opened up the garage door uh, after sun went down, um, then the light in the garage would turn on automatically and stay on for you know fifteen minutes or so because there was a, a window in the garage. But obviously at night, then there wasn't enough light. Um, and then one of my favorite automations, it was not with HomeKit directly. I used, and this was this was a tip that I often gave on um, Smart Tech Today when folks would ask about it. As much as it would be nice to be able to control, run, and uh, change your automations all in one place, like with the Home app, there are times when you will find that it is better to use the app of the company that makes the thing that you're doing because the the connection the communication is just a little bit closer it's it's less mm-hmm. likely to run into issues and so one of those things and and I should note that um for the most part Philips Hue or now Signify Hue is not um one where you need to do this but I 
went ahead and did it this way because there were a few more features that were available to me by doing so. And that was that I had a uh, Philips Hue motion sensor in my hallway. And the there was a light in the middle of the hallway. And basically, if there because it had a built-in um, light sensor or a lux sensor, it could tell how bright the hallway was. Mm-hmm. If that reached a certain threshold where it was dark enough, when it detected motion, it would just turn on the light in the hallway and then it would turn it off uh, after, you know, 10 minutes of not sensing movement. And it was also set so that different peri- different time periods, it would uh, work differently. So I think it was after uh, 11 p.m., it would turn on at a very low brightness. Mm-hmm. It was it was just a nightlight versus during the day where it would stay on. So I had a lot of different fun automations set up in my home. I would also do sort of holiday-themed ones, um, which, Rosemary, you and I had that question on the show recently. But um, it would, you know, around the 4th of July, the lights in the living room would be red, white, and blue. Around Halloween, we could do spooky stuff. On Valentine's Day, I had an automation where uh, when my partner opened up the door, the lights turned like pink, and then uh, some music started playing on the HomePod, uh, all kinds of fun stuff. I will admit that in my new uh, townhouse here in in um, California, I haven't done as much um, because I'm a little more wary about making changes to the home. Um, But what I do have set up are mostly automations around lighting uh, Mm -hmm. so that they will be different colors depending on the time of day. Um, And I keep saying eventually I'll get around to uh, changing the switch for the the front porch uh, so that Mm -hmm. it will turn on whenever the sun sets and turn off when the sun rises. I just haven't got around to it yet. Um, so yeah, I like there's so much that HomeKit can do. Um, it's just sort of breaking everything down and then mm-hmm. trying to set it all back up again yeah. was something that I needed. If I was going to get it all done, I needed to do it right when I first moved in, but I was so busy with my yes. new job and everything that there just wasn't time. Yeah. So it's just been sitting. And I think that is something people need to be a little careful about with home automation as well, in that, you know, if you start setting something up and then you leave it half done, you end up in a very frustrating state where it doesn't work the way you want it to. It can be actively hampering you. Like if you're Mm -hmm. sitting in a room and the lights keep turning off because you've not yet figured out a way to keep the lights on if you haven't left the room, then that's just going to be driving you insane and all because you haven't had a chance to finish it. So it's sometimes better to just wait until you've got a bit more time to be able to sit down and do that part, um, whatever it is, entirely. Agreed. I feel like there's probably a show in there sometime where we need to do like a landlord-friendly automation show because that's a problem a lot of people have. You know I mean? Mm. It's like, I want to do automation, but... I can't yeah. replace light switches. I mean, and what, well, what, you know, what can I do? And, uh, and I get it. It's, it's gotta be a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm currently looking for a better alternative to the SwitchBot. Uh, SwitchBot for people who don't know is a, it's a tiny little device. It's got a plastic arm in it. Um, and it's Bluetooth. Um, but it, you stick it on something like a light switch and the arm reaches out and presses the switch for you. Um, So it's great for things like coffee makers and so on, or a light switch um, where you can't replace a light switch. The problem that it is, is Bluetooth. Like thread is much better, but these are not thread. They are Bluetooth. 
Um, and um, I, I think you had that, Micah, with um, uh, the Belkin Wemo switch until yes. recently, until it finally got thread where it was just terrible. Um, oh like the God, switch yes. bot curtains are great because let's face it, how often do you actually interact with your curtains on a daily basis? Probably twice a day. And having them like open or close a minute or so like later, perhaps it's not, it's never even that long. It's fine. But when you walk into a room and you want the light to turn on, waiting 30 seconds for the light to turn on because it like it's got to communicate via the hub and everything it it's that's that's not great and so i would really love to find like a better version of that that's controlled by a zigbee or something that people can actually use and rely on to work instantly when they wanted to do stuff i mean it's only going to be relatively instantly because there's the arm that has to come out and press the button um versus something like a lutron caseta switch which obviously is going to be pretty much instant but yeah. uh, it, it, I mean, it's a great tool. I just wish that I knew of some better options than that. It is pretty good. And if you use Homebridge, you can get it into HomeKit as well. They, they write their own Homebridge plugin, but it is unfortunately Bluetooth. I have a question for you two as automators. Um, how do you navigate uh, the sort of onboarding or explanation for friends, family, partners, um, whomever else might be in your home. Cause I uh, would imagine that you, and maybe, maybe you are paired with someone who is also a, an automation expert or, or folks who are automation experts. But uh, if you find yourself kind of being that person, do you just do your best to kind of make it invisible to the other folks or other mm-hmm. person, uh, so that they don't have to interact with it? Or do you do, do you take a time to sit down and explain it? Or do you just kind of go, um, okay, if you have any questions, ask, I'm, I'm just curious what navigating that is like for you. Um, because I think that that a lot of the home automation stuff in particular and smart speakers even a lot of that is still most of it is sort of an individual it has this individual mindset it's one person kind of interacting with these things and they've only just now started doing voice recognition for smart speakers but still the the lighting and the 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 automations mm-hmm. that you set up how do you go about educating others who will come into interaction with them or is it just kind of like an invisible thing my personal aim for all of these things is it should be invisible so it just does the right thing at the right time and they never actually have to actively interact with it. But should they want to actively interact with something like a light switch, there's a light switch there and there are buttons on it that they can press and they will do the things that they're expected to do. Um, and I realized that I have accomplished my goal in the bathroom at the very least because when my parents were visiting the other day, my mom went into the bathroom um, and I heard her start to say, ah, as in, I can't find the cord for the light switch because um, my my bathroom light switch is a pull cord. It's still there. It's just I tied it up so it's up higher so that you won't reach for it automatically when you go in there because it took me a couple of days to unlearn the habit of pulling the cord uh, myself. Um, and as she said that, the light turned on and she went, ah, and that was it. And she closed the door and then came out nice. and then the light turned off a couple of minutes later and she was like, huh. Yeah, your bathroom light's quite cool. Like, can we do this? So it's like, you could, but you're going to need to set up quite a few different uh, components to be able to do that, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, my aim is to try and make it just work so that like somebody walks into a room where they're going to need light, light is provided. And then they walk out and then a minute or so after there is no more movement, the lights turn off um, and things like that, because that's what's most convenient for me as well. You know, I don't have to walk around after myself turning off lights. Um, and so my aim is to try and make it invisible, but then give people 
you know, a way to toggle things like a light or something if they need it. Um, so yeah, I've got like Philips Hue covers, um, or like I've got the four button switches and I bought covers from Amazon just that go over my light switches. Um, and so the, the hue buttons are on that and I can take the hue button off and take part of the cover off and actually control the physical switch if I need to, but, uh, I rarely need to do that, but people look at it and they press the top button to turn the light on. They press the button button to turn the light off and they, they may, they may never press the buttons in the middle, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really a challenge. I mean, I have a wife and two daughters and the, um, you know, when I first started playing with the stuff, I was trying to use the, the smart light bulbs, but then they would turn off the switch <laughs> and the light bulb would stop working and I'd be unhappy and they'd be unhappy because sometimes they would flip the switch and the light wouldn't go off and on. And uh, that that's what led me down the road to the Lutron Cassetta switches. So now they can turn the switch off or on and I can also control it via automation. And, and you want to be as transparent as possible, but you really do have to have a conversation like, look, hey, I really love you and you love me. Living with me means occasionally things are going to, be a little weird around the house, you know, Right. like it, it, the, you know, the smart speaker may yell out my, my next appointment once in a while when it shouldn't. And, you know, I'm going to try and nail those things down as best as I can, but mm-hmm. just, you know, have a little patience with me as I work through this. Yes. And, um, yeah. Patience and grace. Yeah. Yes. But it, it is, it is interesting. Like there's stuff I want to do. And then it, there's also technological limitations. Like mm-hmm. I put a UFI camera pointed at my front door as kind of a security feature. But in, in theory, HomeKit should recognize the people's faces. It should be smart yeah. enough to have that feature. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun if I had like a different song that would play, whether it's my wife or my daughter or me? And it's just not smart enough yet. And even though they say they have the feature, it doesn't work. So you, you have to experiment and realize where the limits are of this stuff, even beyond what Apple or the, the manufacturers are telling you. Yeah, 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 definitely. Also, invite uh, requesting bug reports uh, is an interesting experience, um, but also very useful. Um the, the last thing you want if you're sharing home automations is for the person to never tell you that the thing is broken from their perspective. Um, That's and then, a really good point. Yeah, because if so, like, you know, if something works the way you expect it to, that's fine for you. But if it's not working the way they expect it to, or it's annoying them or something, then having a, a you know having them tell tell you, hey, this thing doesn't work the way I want it to. I want it to work like this. So, you know, maybe maybe it means temporarily not having an automation there while you figure it out. But then, you know, sitting down thinking about the solution that works for everybody involved is, you know, the best. Um, you know, fortunately, in my bathroom, there is a choice of you can use the bathroom with the light on or you can use the bathroom with the light off in the dark. There are no windows. Um, so I, I made the hopefully correct assumption that most people want to use the bathroom with the light on, um, and preferably not have the light turn off while, you know, they're in the bathroom using the shower or whatever it is. Um, so I've, I've yet to have a bug report come out of that, but I, I do make a point of telling people, you know, if something doesn't work the way you're expecting it to, like, you need to tell me because then mm-hmm. I can fix it. Uh, cause the worst thing is not knowing that something's broken. Micah, you also mentioned earlier that you're using some of the web uh, internet uh, automation stuff like Zapier and IFTTT. Yeah. Any favorites there you can share? Um, so 
those ones um, are, I, I can't go into too much detail simply because it does have to do with uh, stuff with work that's sort of on the back end um, but and, and the way that we kind of do things. But I will say, I'll, I'll explain one of them. Um, I haven't, it's partially because we haven't used this one in a while because we haven't been able to be in the studio together. But the, all, all of the shows that I do, save for one, um, we just are in front of a camera talking to the camera and to the folks. But Tech News Weekly, um, that show, we actually, when we were in studio, used a teleprompter for the parts of the show that were uh, built in. So the, the, billboards at the top of the show, you know, the, the advertisements, um, and the ads throughout the show all are on a teleprompter. And so there's a place on the server, um, where the teleprompter files are stored. And then the person who's running the teleprompter can pull that file up. What we would do in the past was we would copy from the, um, document that we use with all of the text in it and paste it into a text file and then save it to this place on the server. And I realized, oh my goodness, this whole thing could be automated. So I uh, used Zapier um, to pay attention to the Google Drive um, looking for a specific title uh, because mm-hmm. the show is always the same and it's um, you know, TNW, which means Tech News Weekly, and then the number for that show. So it just looks for that TNW dash and it's looking at the latest file that's there. Um, and then it knows to go in and look at specific uh, cells in the document. So I gave it a range of cells to pay attention to. Um, the cell or the the sheet itself has a built-in formula to turn linked text and all that kind of stuff into plain text before it puts it into the separate cell that is like mm-hmm. the plain text because that's what we used to use to copy and paste from. So it pulls from those uh, plain text cells creates uh, wholesale a dot text file um, with that text inside of it and then saves it to that place on the server um, so that the file just automatically appears. And with Zapier, I think it does it checks every five minutes or something like that. So it checks pretty regularly and can see that the file is there and then it popped up where I needed it. Um, I also, I don't use this one now because I want a little bit more control as I've... Um, as I've gotten in front of more eyes over time, there is a separation between my Twitter, which is incredibly public um, and has a lot more interaction, and my Instagram, which is available to the public but doesn't have as many uh, people paying attention. And so I I like that separation. Um, I used to have an IFTTT uh, setup where when I published, when I posted a photo on Instagram, it would download that image uh, from, you know, the Instagram servers or whatever, however that works, and then paste it on Twitter with the caption from the Instagram post and a link to that Instagram photo. And so then it would be an actual image on Twitter instead of just being uh, the, the that Instagram link. that exists. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, I said, as I said, I shut that one off simply because now I don't want every Instagram post that I post to automatically be there. Um, I get to choose but um, the, oh, the and then the other one is um, it's one that pays attention, looks on my Instagram. It used to, or it still pays attention to Flickr, but obviously I don't use Flickr anymore. And a few other places, and it looks for uh, a hashtag Chihuahua Coffee. And upon finding that, it adds it to my Squarespace website 
um, where I've got a grid of photos of my dogs um, on on that page. So it can automatically go ahead and put that there and make it available um, for that section of the page. So yeah, I, I like online automations if they are not interacting locally with my devices. <laughs> if it's mm-hmm. all sort of on that side of things, it's one yeah. server talking to another server, one service talking to another service, I'm all down for that. But it's whenever the interaction happens locally that I end up being uh, a little bit uh, just skeptical. And I don't want to set myself up for disappointment. So I don't do that. However, I will say that um, the Stream Deck has, um, there, there's someone who created a service where you can tie it to an IFTTT automation. Mm. And so I wanted to uh, give that one a go. And uh, so I just was like, oh, let's see what I can possibly create. And I had it set up a way to text me whenever I hit that button. I would never really, I never really need that. I don't need to use that, but I just wanted to see if it was possible. Um, but it gave me ideas for potential use of doing uh, local interactions with things um, yeah. via IFTTT. I find, I'm, I'm curious how you to feel about each of those serv- services, because I think um, Zapier ends up having a lot of um, between action uh, adjustments that you can make that IFTTT, I found, has been lacking in the past. But IFTTT has added a lot more um, robustness over time that mm. uh, puts it, I think, on the same level or close to the same level of Zapier. Um, do either of you use both of those or either of those? Um, I use both of them. And I also use another service called Integromat, um, which is more like Zapier from the power perspective, but it's um, visual to interact with. So you actually have, you know, like nodes and you get branching as well at the base tier, which is really nice because the base tier is only $7 a month, Um, which if you're looking to expand from, um, you know, what if this and that can do, then $7 a month to Integromat is a lot more affordable than the $20 a month for Zapier. Zapier really is a a business tool. Um, But I I use all of them and I find, um, you know, I find they work really well, but I do tend to stick with automate these things on the web. Like the closest I'll come to interacting with my machine is putting something in a Dropbox folder, which then either Hazel or Keyboard Maestro uh, Keyboard Maestro or Devon think is watching. And then those pick that that up on the other end and then do whatever it is when my device is online and available to do it. Um, but I don't tend to really do direct interaction from my computer out to those automations or vice versa. Um, though I could. Um, there's nothing stopping me, but it it does just uh, end up being that I tend to keep it keep it all in one place. You know, don't cross the streams, as Ghostbusters said. You know, <laughs> keep keep web stuff on the web and keep local stuff local, and bridge the gap between the two carefully. Yeah, like Rose, I use them all. I mean, I make a podcast called The Automators, so go figure, right? <laughs> um, but I do find that there are certain services that work better with one service over the other. I mentioned day mm-hmm. one earlier. Their IFTTT integration is really good. Um, so that's one of the things I do in IFTTT. And and I just kind of go to the tool that that works the best. And that's not really a good answer because sh- you shouldn't have to subscribe to three of these. Um, right, right. Um, but, you know, they all have their uses. But like you, I am also leery of local-based cloud uh, automation. Um, mm-hmm. If it's something that's going to be local, I'd much rather do it in Keyboard Maestro, Shortcuts, Texas Commander, whatever. 
um, than have it go to the internet to do an automation. Um, And the usage for these just really scales with your usage of cloud-based services. If you've got a bunch of those, um, these are better than, than something local, like trying to get like keyboard maestro to open up, you know, some web service in Safari and navigate to the right page and insert text is very dicey. Whereas like mm-hmm. with these cloud-based services, you can automate that and it all happens through the API and it works every time. And that's, that's what we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is really, yeah. Where, where the, uh, the trick is. And uh, also I tend to find just because of networks um, and how networking works, you are much more likely to experience failures with automations if you are um, like from a local perspective dependent on a web service. Um, all it takes is you know that Cloudflare node being down for you right now, or your ISP is being a bit flaky, or you know you have a power outage or something. Um, your machine's on a UPS, but your maybe your router isn't, or you know, something downstream isn't. And so you don't have a connection or your connection's not 100% reliable and then suddenly things don't work. I think that's probably where a lot of people have experienced or have poor experiences with home automation where they've tried to do things with their lights and they're using a service like If This and That. And the problem with using a service like If This and That to control your lights is whenever it sees the trigger, that's, you know, farms out to If This and That, which processes it as soon as it can, obviously, but that's not necessarily going to be instant. And then it has to come back. You've got so many potential points of failure added over something like HomeKit, where the processing is done locally in your home on a HomePod or an Apple TV. Um, and that's why local-based um, automations, when you want the, the the start and the end to be local, are usually the best. Um, that That's just the way that these things end up working. So, Micah, if there's one area of automation you'd like to get better at, what is it? Oh, man. Um, I think it would be in more of the auto automations. Um, mm. it's, it's the stuff that happens automatically in the background. There was one point when I had uh, Hazel downloaded and installed on my Mac, mm-hmm. and I was trying, because I, I, I will admit to being uh, pretty laissez-faire, as it were, with my uh, files. And so what I tend to do is I use... uh, uh, My desktop is where I am working on active projects. And then after they're done, um, there are certain things like receipts and invoices and whatnot that get sorted into specific places. But everything else, I just um, open up my uh, network-attached storage and I create a new folder and it's called desktop and then afterwards is a date slug so in my case it would be and i'm sorry rosemary but i'm doing month first 02 11 22 and then 02 desktop 02 11 22 <laughs> has the files from the desktop that i'm no longer using just there and so i've got all of these files going back and what i wanted to do was use hazel to every um at the end of every week it would take the files that are on the desktop and move them to my network attached storage, which by the way is always backed up uh, both to the cloud and locally, um, and then create that folder desktop with the date slug and keep keep putting it there so that I didn't have to automatically or manually rather um, move those things from my desktop. But I ran into issues trying to give Hazel a specific um, 
like repeating date. And then I also uh-huh. ran into issues getting Hazel to uh, pay attention to um, my network attached storage. And then I also ran into an issue where if the network attached storage did not automatically connect for some reason, um, then it would not automatically connect. <laughs> um, yeah, it's got to do the Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, I did run into um, some annoying issues that kept me from doing that. But that's just one example of an automatic automation that I would want to do. Because, um, yeah. I, but I think I'd have some more. Yeah, I would say because you want to do this at a specific repeating interval, Hazel is probably not the right tool for that. Hazel is great for this file has just appeared in this folder or this file appeared in this folder X period of time ago. Um, And then it can, you know, go through matching other criteria and so on and so forth, which is really useful and great. But if you want something to happen periodically, Keyboard Maestro has a really excellent time trigger. Um, and that can also do the if statements, of course, to check, hey, is this a uh, location available? Nope. Okay, I'll try again later um, oh. or whatever it is. And of course, that means that you can easily run that macro manually at any point that you want to as well, allowing you to just say, for example, get all the files from your desktop and move them to a folder on your NAS that you've just created with the date slug. Um, incorrectly formatted because year must come first. Um, I only say that because that way, if you sort them alphabetically, then they are sorted from oldest to newest or newest to oldest automatically, which is, it's a nice extra. Um, But if you want month first, I suppose I can let it happen. Um, But Keyboard Maestro (laughs) is probably the right tool for that one. Um, It can do a lot of the things that Hazel can do as well, where it can watch folders and, and, and move files and things around and um, you know, if if you want to use it for that, it's great. I, I personally end up using all of them. Um, but it's definitely a case of the right tool for the right job. And I think maybe part of the problem there was the wrong tool. Um, because, that makes sense. You know, Hazel's excellent. And I use it for things like I've got a rule here in my downloads folder called old screenshots. Um, and it's looking for things where the date added is not in the last day. And it has to be a video or an image. And it has to either have a clean shot or simulator screen at the beginning of the name, and then it will move it to trash. Um, but it only does that on things that are over a day old. Um, and it's it works brilliantly, but that's because I wanted to do things whenever that stuff gets old and stale. It's not doing that on a weekly or daily basis. I would also think that maybe this is an XY problem again. It's like, does it really need to happen once a week, or is it just you need to have it there long enough to use it? Like maybe after three days, you're always done with it. And yeah, that that's case, a good point. That in that case, you could just say date added is you know not within the last three days, and then have Hazel uh, ad hoc put them away for you after three days or five days or seven or whatever. Um, that's another way to to kind of scratch mm-hmm. that itch. Yeah, and of course, the other solution is don't shove everything in one folder based on the date on your NAS. Uh, instead, slowly over time, create more and more rules which put things in folders based on the kind of file that it is. So if it is, you know, you, you said that you file receipts and so on and so forth, um, you know, you could create automations that will file anything that you put in a receipts folder to subfolders inside of it um, automatically for you. But you can also slowly start creating rules to, you know, clean up um, all the desktop folders if you wanted to. That's how I uh, recently processed an unexpected backlog of things in my downloads folder. I just started creating a rule in Hazel and saw how many files were left and then picked another file and created a rule and so yeah. how many files were left and oh, you know, figure things a, yeah. out from there. Sort of chip away at it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you don't have to do everything all at once, but you can start with, you know, these are the easy, low-hanging pieces of fruit, you know, anything 
that's got this particular name and this kind of file extension. Um, I want to go in this folder over here um, and so and uh, get started like that. Makes sense. Well, Micah, you are an automator. I don't care what you say. Yeah, you're doing some cool stuff, <laughs> and uh, we really appreciate you coming in to to share that with us. Where do people find you, Micah, if they want to connect with you on the internet? The best place is just going to chihuahua.coffee. That's C-H-I-H-U-A-H-U-A.coffee. Um, there you'll find links to the places I'm most active online. Um, but if you're wanting to like get in touch, tweeting at me, at Micah Sargent is uh, a good way to get in touch. And a hearty thank you to the both of you for having me on the show. I've inspired. I've got several tabs open. I'm <laughs> signing up for Integral Mat after this. Like, there's so much fun. <laughs> well, you are such an inspiration for me, too. I love the stuff you're creating over at Twit. And it's just such a great voice in the community. And we really appreciate you putting yourself out there and, and sharing as much as you do. And, um, and coming on the automators to talk about yeah. automation. We appreciate that, too. I'm honored. Thank you. We are the automators. You can find us over at relay.fm slash automators. We have that great forum that uh, Rose put together at talk.automators.fm. Uh, I love when I go to search for an automation problem and the answer comes up in the forum for my podcast. I mean, Rose, don't you mm-hmm. like that? It's, it's awesome. I, I love it. I love it. It's yeah. The automators in the MPU forums are always coming up and the Twit forums pop up from time to time as well. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, it's great seeing the answers from you know, the people we interact with on a regular basis. Yeah. And uh, I want to thank our sponsors for today. And that's our friends over at LinkedIn Jobs, FitBot, and New Relic. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye, everyone.